Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems, too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hi. I'm Simon DeWijs, and you're listening to Sorry Partner. Hello, and welcome to Sorry Partner, a podcast about bridge and all things interesting to bridge players. Brought to you by Bridge Partners and Friends, Catherine Harris and Jocelyn Starts. On today's program, we talk with Dutch champion Simon DeVice about the fine art of saying and not saying what's on your mind, the tortoise hair partnership dynamic, and the smother play that got away. <laughs> Plus, he shares his top tip for developing players. But first, let's kibitz. Hi, partner. How are you, Jocelyn? I'm fine, Catherine. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. As you know, I was at a tournament this weekend. Had a had a nice result or two in there, so that was very good. Have have returned with a couple of mugs marking our successes. <laughs> <laughs> Always great to get those mugs. Absolutely. But I've also come with a new contribution to the gloating canon. Well, it's been a while. I was thinking about that. We haven't talked about gloating, and I'm sure our listeners have missed our bemoaning and complaining about gloating. So here we go. I'm all ears. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, we're all familiar with the congratulating partner, <laughs> which is very annoying. <laughs> well then, done, partner. <laughs> yeah, especially when yeah. the victory has been because we've made a mistake, which is my special favorite. I, I, I always enjoy that. But um, this was a situation where it, the gloating came with a time delay. Okay. Yeah. So so my partner and I <laughs> were in five clubs, which we actually were never going to make. Great. <laughs> and then the ops come in with a five diamond sacrifice, right? And, of course, go down three. Fine. My partner and I don't say a word about it. The hand is scored up. 
move on to the next board, you know, whatever, all good. So then we're about to start the auction for the next hand and my left-hand opponent could not help himself, couldn't let it go, has to refer back to the previous hand and says to his partner, that went as expected, to which she says, yes, of course. And then he says, they had five clubs on. This is in case we'd missed it. And my partner and I are just looking at each other because we know we don't. We we did not have five clubs on. I mean, it was one of those, you know. They have to tell themselves this. And when they see the hand record later. Yeah, I felt that it was an ego thing and he couldn't stand that we thought that they had made a mistake. I think he thought he had made a great sacrifice bid and could not stand to let it go unremarked. God forbid we thought we had somehow emerged victorious on the hand when, in fact, he... Which you did, by the way. (laughs) Which Which you did. And he, you just have to think about it later. He has the hand record, he's looking at it, (laughs) and he's horrified to see, oh, my God, five clubs would never make. Partner and I just exchanging very polite but knowing looks at each other. I wouldn't be able to. I can just tell you that. I'd be like, what are you talking about? Five clubs? I guess if you made like five really bad defensive errors, <laughs> like trumping your, your partner's winners, things like that, maybe. I just love that he couldn't let it go. It, it was actually such a gift because every time I think about it, I just <laughs> get the Google. <laughs> Unfortunately, I have to say, this does remind me of something I actually did last night when we were in a competitive auction and opponents bid four spades. My partner went to five hearts, which was doubled, down two, and I wasn't keeping all the cards in in mind. So I turned to the person who would have been the declarer in four spades. And I said, does four spades make? I don't know if it's the same thing, but he said, yes. So then I felt better because they were vulnerable. So 620 versus 500, much better for us, but it's kind of gloating too. And I, I guess I think of this guy who would have been the declarer in four spades as such a superior player to me that how could he ever think I was gloating, but you know, it, it does not become one to, to ever do that. I can look at the hand records at my leisure to find out whether five hearts doubled was, in fact, a good sacrifice. At least you didn't wait until you were through the next auction and about to make your opening lead (laughs) before you referred back. Five spades. No, four spades was going to make. Six spades was going to make. So good job, partner. (laughs) And now it's time for Club Quell. Club in the Spotlight. Hello, my name is Suzanne and I'm from London. And I would love to quell about my club, which is Ben's Golders Greenbridge Club. I've been playing there for three years and everyone has become like a family. The game is online at Realbridge, so we get to see everybody and we have a nice chat. It's really, really friendly and lots of fun. It's really, really special. The Golders Green Bridge Club welcomes players from all over the world. We play on Wednesday nights, that's London time, at 8 o'clock, 
So please get in touch if you'd like to have a game. Hope to see you there. Bye. So come on down. Email us if you'd like to kvell about your club. Club in the spotlight. I'm kvelling. Two letters for us today, Jocelyn. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Our first letter is from Peter from Massachusetts. Hey, Peter. Hi, Peter. As the majority of us addicts are creatures of habit when it comes to face-to-face bridge, my long-standing partner and I would play at what was then a weekly evening game against mostly the same collection of similarly addicted individuals, say 15 tables or so, and this was a good 25 years ago. We were playing our modified version of Precision, the upshot of which is that an omnibus one-diamond opening bid is a frequent occurrence, about 40% of our non-one-club openers. Partner opens one nebulous diamond, right-hand opponent would overcall a major at the one level, and there I would be with a balanced hand, say 8 to 11 high card points, insufficient length in the unbid major to make a negative double, and regrettably no stopper in the overcalled suit. What to do? After many sessions of having run into this same awkward hurdle, I decided the best course of action was nonetheless to bid one no trump. The auction would continue normally, even though I knew the ice might be thin. Over the course of perhaps eight months, this hand type twice came up against the same right-hand opponent. Nothing was said after the first time, but after the second successful time, at the end of the hand, my right-hand opponent commented, That's twice you've bid one no trump against me without a stopper. What a memory. I made certain not to do that again versus this very well-known player holding about 24,000 master points. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Oh, yeah, all the best, Peter from Massachusetts. Yes. Well, Peter, you've got to pick your battles. I'm telling you, that bidding one no trump without a stopper can frequently be the winning action. Yeah. I have been on the other side of that. And I've been irate because I placed (laughs) the king where I think it has to be. It's the only missing stopper. Surely it has to be there. But no, it's not there. Foiled again. It is is really maddening when that happens. I hear you. I hear you. I hear you, Peter's opponent with the 24,000. So, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I assume you've kept up that strategy, Peter, and I assume it's been (laughs) successful for you. (laughs) But now your secret's out. No one's going to ever think you have a stopper. (laughs) Our next letter is from Bill. You'll love this, Jocelyn. Dear Queens of Kibitzing. (laughs) A new title. (laughs) (laughs) I look at you and instead of seeing headphones, I see a tiara. (laughs) In the late 1980s, we taught ourselves how to play bridge during our lunch hour. Four engineers and a photocopied bidding summary from Charles Gorin's book. In the evolutionary history of bridge, we were like the giant tortoises from Darwin's Galapagos Island. (laughs) Eventually, someone who knew what they were doing joined our group. It was only then that the twisted chromosomes of our bridge mutations became apparent. Our gene therapy bridge sessions continued until corporate America lunch hours became 15 minutes. I didn't play for 30 years 
except for a floppy disk loaded program followed by increasingly sophisticated bridge solitaire programs once smartphones became a thing. When I retired, I found a weekly game at the local senior centre and had great fun playing with the ladies in their 80s. They treated me so well. The closest bridge club was between 35 and 50 minutes away. I decided to give it a try. My first experience was in an open session with a room full of life masters. On the first hand, I was a dealer and didn't have much, so I said pass. My right-hand opponent, who knew that I was a nervous newbie, said very nicely, you have to put your green card on the table. I remember thinking, what does my immigration status have to do with this? (laughs) Seeing my quizzical look, left-hand opponent pointed to the green pass card in the bidding box. Oh, so that's what that thing was for. We didn't finish in last, despite passing my partner as he attempted to transfer me to hearts. He just smiled and said, thank you, partner, and proceeded to go down four in a two-diamond contract. (laughs) The show is fantastic. Keep up the good work, Bill. Oh, Bill, that's so nice. That's so sweet, and I hope he held on to that partner. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like a lovely partner to me. Absolutely. Certainly not the kind of partner who would call out a bid from the previous hand and make sure that their partner knew it was a sacrifice. Their partner and their opponent. (laughs) Yes, indeed. So if you have any fun stories about gloating, because we always like to revisit that topic, of course, or about responding one no Trump without a stopper where there's no other handy bid please do send them to us at sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com and of course you can always find all of our contact information on our website at sorrypartner.com along with some other good stuff coming up next our interview with simon device dutch champion simon device learned to play bridge at chess tournaments He was an under-14 national champion, but his passion for bridge quickly overtook chess, and at 19, he made his international bridge debut at the 1993 European Junior Pairs Championships. He has since accumulated a slew of wins, including the 2011 Bermuda Bowl, the 2011 World Mind Games, the 2016 World Team Olympiad, the 2022 European Team Championships, and the 2022 World Mixed Teams. Simon has won the Dutch National Championship 12 times, a record only eclipsed by his long-term partner, Bauke Muller, who has won the title 14 times. We began by asking if he'd had any interesting hands lately, and we were pretty confident that he had. Yeah, well, one of the questions you you, you mentioned uh, was, have you had any interesting hands? And another question was, have you had any disaster? So I decided to combine the two and tell you about a disaster I had while playing online. So we were defending 6-0 Trump. The opponents overbid slightly. And I doubled for a spade lead. And my partner led a spade, which I won. And now I could see the contract had zero chance. I relaxed a little and I decided to play the diamond back. And in the diamond suit, I had jack, 10, nine, deuce. 
So any normal sane person would play the Jack, the 10 or the 9 even, but I decided to get cute about it and play the juice back. So the glarer somehow figured it out, put in the 8, forcing my partner's king. So now I gave a trick away in the diamond suit, which didn't give away the contract, but now later the glarer knew about the hand and squeezed me between my diamonds and my spades allowing him to make an impossible six-mark drop. So that was a major disaster. My face turned red, but nobody could see it, obviously. The most embarrassing thing about it actually is that I totally denied all of it and I typed, sorry, partner, I misclicked, which, which was a complete <laughs> lie, but I just couldn't bring myself to admit to the stupidity I had done. So this is the first time people hear that, uh, that it was complete bullshit. I did not misclick. I intentionally played <laughs> the most stupid card I ever have played. So this, that's what, that's what I uh, hands. I've used that misclick. I think I used it with Catherine not that long ago. <laughs> um, <laughs> when I wasn't sure it was really a misclick or just a bad decision. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was the main benefit of playing online. You, instead of having only your partner to blame for bad results, you could always blame misclicks or the cat walked by or something. You could you, you had other stuff to blame you disasters <laughs> on. That, 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 that's always useful. A cow flew by. <laughs> A cow flew by. That's the expression, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Are you in the habit of keeping secrets from your partner? Are you talking about my bridge partner or my life partner? <laughs> I meant your bridge partner. My bridge partner. No, I'm not, not in the habit of keeping a secret. That's, you know, you don't need to overshare everything. There's, there's, a, there's a fine balance between the two. I try not to speak too many untruths, but sometimes there's, a, there's like a truth I conveniently don't tell, like what I was thinking at the moment. Because, you know, some hands you have this thought process, you almost did the most ridiculous thing ever. Okay, in the example I gave you, I did the most ridiculous thing ever, but there are so many hands where you said, okay, let's play a spade. Well, well, no, 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 I'll play a heart. Only later to find out that playing a spade would have been an unexplainable disaster. And then it's better not to tell partner, I was almost playing a spade. You know, <laughs> you don't want to uh, burden him with these, uh, <laughs> with his doubts, I think. So I keep those things to myself. So it sounds like you're quite a considerate partner. Uh, I hope so. <laughs> we'll we'll, we'll Malcolm later if he feels the same way. <laughs> we can be considerate. We need a while. So when we have a disaster at the table, the first, let's say, half an hour, hour, we think the other one is a total idiot. I mean, that's the, the that's just the base <laughs> reaction. And only later, like within the hour, you start to, you know, ask yourself, was I completely blame-free in this? And then most of the times you're not. And then after an hour, I, I believe I have a pretty normal balanced view of the hand. But I but I, I definitely need an hour. The first hour it's all him to blame. Why do you think it's your first reaction for the initial part of the hour to put all the blame on your partner? And what do you think happens in your mind to where you come out at the more balanced position? Well I think it's a coping mechanism. Um uh, if we're going psychological here. <laughs> It, it's, in all fairness, a pretty stressful uh, way to make a living to play bridge or any game or sport at a high level. Since the margin of error is very small, you're not allowed to make many mistakes. Every tournament hand board is, is important. And so the pressure is all, almost always. So 
whenever something goes wrong, whenever you make a mistake, in order to be able to live with yourself, it's it's good if you have somebody else to blame. I mean, at least my brain thinks so. And then it's when I realize, looking back, that it was not the most fair view of the situation. But at the moment, I need that training or uh, to to stay alive, basically. Maybe it's it's just to feel better and to be able to perform better the next boys. Do you and your partner discuss the terms of your partnership, how you like your partnership to be organized? Do you have any ground rules for your partnership? Yeah, that's a good question. We have had the partnership for more than 20 years now. Most of the time is spent discussing various treatments, uh, discussing things that went wrong in the bridge sense. But once in a while, we have a talk about the way we uh, handle each other's things. Some of those times, this is initiated by the Dutch Bridge Association, who brings in a mental coach to talk with people. And, the, and the, those talks are sometimes with a whole group, like 10 people. And then there are talks with the partnership, so the two of us with him. And there are also individual talks, because Bridge is, is, uh, is, is a team sport, a partnership sport, and an individual sport altogether. All those things play a role at certain times. And... Through the years, we've had those talks several times. Auker, for instance, is known to be a very slow player, which is a reputation he definitely deserved a long time ago, but now somehow he still has this reputation where, where it's not really fair since he's pretty uh, okay nowadays, only uh, <laughs> he has spoiled uh, his reputation for the rest of his life by being slow the first 10 years. In those first 10 years, I had to cope with always being in time pressure, feeling responsible for that. And so, and so we talked about it. We talked about the pressure that brings to the table and yeah, stuff like that. So the non-bridge stuff definitely is important. And it's also definitely important to, to be on the, get on the same wavelength there. And that's something we, we, we talk about. But it's maybe one in, yeah, one in 20 talks at most. I mean, it, it, mostly it's bridge related. So still what we talk about. What do you think is the reason that it's been such a successful partnership. I think we think about bridge in similar ways. And that, that's not to say that we, in every situation, will act with the same, uh, we have to say, uh, same action. But we are mostly like rational players who like to have agreements and we, our memory for agreements is equally good, I would say. But we're also practical in the sense that we don't want to overcomplicate matters. And we have found each other in this, uh, where some partnerships, they, they take on agreements where we say, wow, we definitely don't want to, don't want ever to, to have anything to do with those kind of agreements. Not because they're not good, but because we see way too many, too, too much potential for disaster. So that's the balance uh, there. We, we, we really find each other. And yeah, he's a extremely good defender and. That's something that we as a partnership have profited from uh, being a, a good defensive pair. Of course, we, we talk a lot and we have good methods. And so as a pair now, we have good defense. Although, had you seen me play today, actually, you would not think so. But that's, let's, not, uh, <laughs> let's not go there. So no, it, the fact that you have good agreement doesn't mean you cannot be an idiot from time to time, unfortunately. So that's, <laughs> that's still possible. But yeah, I think that, that those things those things help that we think along the same lines in those situations. So you endured ten years of your partner's slow play. What has your partner had to endure about your game? 
Wow, that's a very personal uh, question. You'll notice I use the word endure quite playfully yeah. intended. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you, no doubt you mean, you mean well. <laughs> <laughs> Especially in the beginning, I was too quick as well at the bridge table at playing the cards. Maybe to compensate, um, that's uh, making too many mistakes playing too quickly. Right. So he was being slow, and you were you were rushing. Yeah, I wasn't good enough to be rushing. Let's let's put it like that. I was rushing and making some mistakes, and I can always uh, blame him because he created the time pressure. But that's not really fair. Also, with my judgment, also uh, afterwards, I was too vocal and too critical. I think at first. With age comes wisdom, as they say. So uh, <laughs> I have to. Uh, we have all. We have both changed in that respect. I like to think I'm less uh, less horrible to play with than uh, ten years ago. Do you think having kids has also changed you in that way? Yeah, but I. I don't. Yeah, maybe I'm supposed to say that having kids changed my whole outlook on life. But no, no I don't. <laughs> just think it's it's growing older and. Yeah, more controlled with age. I don't. I, I think so. I think that's just the honest answer. My kids actually play bridge, my daughters, and they've started to play competitively. So I'll be confronted with them while they go into tournaments, sometimes the same tournaments that I will be playing in. So I don't know how, if I'll be able to handle that, but uh, we'll see about it. So they'll, they'll see me in a totally different light. We recently spoke with... Patricia Herrera from Mexico, and she plays with her father, sometimes Gonzalo Herrera. If you partnered with your kids, do you think you could be their bridge partner or would you be dad first? I, I, can, I can be a bridge partner, but I, we, I've tried it and it's still very hard because when they make a mistake, I'm harder on them than on a player of the same level with not being my kids. So sometimes I do some junior trainings in the Netherlands. I'm a trainer for, for one of these groups. And once in a while, my daughters are in, in that group that I'm training. And afterwards, uh, other people complain that I am too harsh on them. So obviously, I need as a trainer to point out everybody's mistakes. But with my daughters, I, I do it uh, too much, apparently. So being a dad uh, still has, uh, has some influence. You live in the Netherlands, which has always impressed me as a small country whose citizens have a very broad worldview. They speak many, many languages, all perfectly, and they travel. So I am interested to hear your perspective on the Dutch bridge scene in comparison with other bridge scenes you've encountered? Yeah. I think the, uh, when you talk about the Dutch bridge scene, there's actually two scenes. There's When you count the number of members of the Dutch Bridge Association, that's a lot, right? We have one of the highest numbers of members. But that's because lots of people, they only play socially once a week on a bridge club. They never play any, any tournaments or stuff, stuff like that. So when you look at the competitive bridge players, um, though that, that's like 10,000. And that's not too, too much different from other countries, I would say. 
the only thing is that we are a small country, as you rightly point out, and that has actually a lot of advantages because we have been training uh, as Team Orange, uh, the top five, six pairs uh, of the country, they are in this training program that had been going on for, for 15 years now. And every Friday we spent a day together, which is completely impossible if you're in a country like Australia or United States or even Norway, I would imagine. I mean, the distances are just way too, uh, too great for, for that to be uh, feasible. But for us, it's not everybody drives between half an hour and an hour. We, we can spend the whole day together. So that has helped uh, our progress a lot. And apart from that, because we have so many members, we have a lot of money also for Top Bridge. And the, the Dutch Bridge Association has always been very good for, for players who want to play competitively uh, internationally. So we get to play a lot of tournaments. You never have to play for hotel room or plane tickets or stuff like that. So when we compare this with other countries, we are extremely lucky to be in this kind of situation. And, and obviously it helps because if you get to choose whether to spend a lot of time in bridge, yeah, if you have to pay your own way every time, yeah, some people will, will not do it. And if you don't have to pay it, then, then more people will do it and the best will, will, will last. So yeah, that, that helps a lot. Asking for a friend, do people move to the Netherlands from other countries and join the, the Dutch bridge scene because of all the wonderful things happening? Well, I don't, I don't think so. Actually, I, uh, our best pair has moved out of the Netherlands to play for Switzerland as maybe you, yeah, you've, you've heard for a brink driver. So, uh, only to beat us in the champion, in the final of the world championships by three games later. That, uh, that was painful. True. <laughs> so, um, no, I don't think a lot of players, people uh, move to the Netherlands, but that's because we don't have a real sponsor climate. Uh, there are not a lot of people in the Netherlands paying to play with a bridge with, uh, with, with, with people as you do have in the United States or even England or. Also in France and Italy, the climate for playing professional bridge is better. We do have a pretty good organization to make people better. But if you want to make a living, you have to travel. And you have to basically be in the United States. And that is not, uh, yeah, that's a different story when you're when you're a USA citizen. You might be a professional without traveling to other countries. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Do you have a favorite bridge tournament that you really like to play? Yeah, I um there are obviously a lot of tournaments that I like to play. Let's start with it. The nationals in the U.S. That's that's always so uh, so intense, long tournaments, the highest level. Everybody who somebody is there, and it's very tough and very competitive. That's one of the, one answer that you might not expect is that I, over the years, have really loved to play the Russian league, and not possible anymore due to the war in Ukraine. Uh, yeah, I mean. Um, there's no uh, people traveling back and forth and uh, playing there, obviously, and uh, understandably. But when that still was possible, every year we went to a small place below Moscow. Maybe technically it was still Moscow, but it was one and a half hours driving from the, from Moscow itself. And there we were in this youth hostel, I think is the word. So the rooms were kind of awful. The internet was lousy. The food was... Uh, was so so. What's not to love? Yeah, somehow uh, being there uh, with with great teammates and going through that together uh, and coming back every year to do the exact same thing, it grew on me. And 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 every year I, I loved going there more and more. And what also helped is that we performed really well there. I mean, I have to be fair; that plays a big role in whether I like something or not. Yeah, I'm only human in that aspect. I think. So we did really well, and our teammates were great, and we had a very great atmosphere. Drank too much, ate too much, uh, but still, uh, still uh, won a lot. So uh, I really miss those uh, tournaments uh, playing with that team. I have to say, you could try to recreate some of those features: the bad food, the heavy drinking of the vodka, staying up until one o'clock. <laughs> have you have you done that at any other tournaments to try to match your success? Well, I did a lot of that when I was uh, younger and uh, playing in junior tournaments. Uh, that's part of the appeal of Brits, right? That you get to travel and drink too much and uh, have fun with each other. But I sort of stopped doing it when I started playing seriously and when I grow, grew older. So it was a, it was a break in, in that trend to, to go back to this, uh, <laughs> to this way of living, I have to say. But yeah, so, somehow... Uh, you still like to do it once in a while, right? Yeah. So once a year, it's perfectly fine. But for me to do it every week, no. No, thank you. I've had enough of that. <laughs> What's the funniest thing that's ever happened while you were playing bridge? There was this one time in the Dutch League, long time ago, I have to, uh, have to admit. We were playing a match and we were losing big time. It was a knock knockout match, so, uh, but we were losing. And suddenly I had my moment of glory because I was playing a contract, four hearts. I saw this end position coming to, to, to fruition where I had a smaller play, which I don't know if you've read Adventures in Card Play, 
from Chelsea and Atlet, which is like an extremely rare bridge position. One I've always really wanted to uh, to execute, and I saw it happening right before my own eyes. So triumphantly, I claimed. I said to the opponents, "Look, look at my hands. He's a lead. I have the rest." Flabbergasted, the opponents looked at me uh, and and accepted, obviously. And then we drove home. And later I got a call from one of the opponents and they said, the claim was incorrect. He could play back a club and there was no there was no smother play. But according to the director, that was too late. So officially I made a contract claimed on the smother play. Legally. <laughs> <laughs> so that I think it was pretty funny. And the opponents didn't really care since they won the match anyway. But uh, <laughs> for me, uh, it was funny. And later on during the Team Orange practice, I had the same feeling, very similar, so that the brain brought back memories. I was playing a hand and I knew how, what it was like. And I was making the hand only to found out that one of my opponents had false carded. And the layout was completely different from what I thought. I did still make the hand, but there was no, nothing special about it. And anybody would have made it. So that was very disappointing also. But uh, twice I've had this moment of glory that I thought I could, I could make a contract on a smaller play. So two weeks ago, Bauke was playing a contract in a local pair game. And I was dummy. And to my horror, I saw what was going to happen. I saw that he was trying to get to a smaller play ending. I was obviously going to be extremely jealous if, if, he, if he would succeed in that. Uh, normally, what you wanted to do well, but in this this instance, I, I really didn't want it. So, luckily, luckily, my right-hand opponent got lead and he could play drum back. He didn't, so the smother play worked with some help of the opponent. So, that was uh, doubly agonizing, I have to say, to, to watch the smother play and having failed, after having failed twice myself. But uh, I, fe- I fear I'm not, not able uh, to do it ever. Did you two talk about that afterwards? <laughs> no, I haven't talked to Mark Bauke about it. Uh, I, I will do it tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> no, the proper thing is obviously to congratulate him on his great play, which I did. But All right, yeah. from, from the inside, I was dying a little. <laughs> <laughs> What's the most unexpected place that you've played bridge? I've played bridge on a boat once. When I didn't know it was a boat. I mean, most people have played on a cruise ship probably, maybe sometimes we can. At least my parents when they were like 75. But, but I, <laughs> I've played, it was like a junior tournament. And unbeknownst to me, there was of these sessions. Uh, we were supposed to be on, on board of a ship and we played on the ship while, while watching. It was not, I mean, earth shattering, but for, I think it's still the most uh, unexpected place uh, for me. Can you describe the ship just a little bit more? And how you didn't know you were on a ship? Yeah, well, it was, it was, uh, it was a long time ago. Eh? I, I don't uh, mean to... Uh, had, <laughs> we, had you been drinking a lot of that vodka the night before? <laughs> yeah, maybe it was uh, it, it was one of, one of the junior tournaments and, and the organizers have followed something special to to include this uh, this boat trip on one of these days and to combine it with one of the bridge sessions. So I don't know exactly where it was. I only know that I was, as a junior, very surprised that suddenly I found myself playing on a boat. 
but Tim. So you didn't know it was a boat. You just hadn't expected to be on a boat. Right. I did. When, when I was on the boat, I did know it was a boat. Yes, yes. <laughs> okay. <true>. Somehow <laughs> I figured out that this thing that was moving through the water <laughs> was a boat. Was it, yes, was it yes, like yes, a true. small cruise ship or was it a yacht or what's, yeah, yeah, what yeah, scale a small, are we talking? A, a, a small cruise ship we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. It was uh, no, it was unmistakably a boat, but uh, the, the night before, I had no clue that we were, were going on a boat. Luckily, I'm not prone to get seasick, but... That would suck. <laughs> that would suck, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, one of my English opponents made this word joke that, that he said it was very interesting. Yeah? Very, F-E-R-E-Y. Yeah, so that's that springs to mind that... I thought it was a very funny word joke, which I didn't get at the time. Of course, my English was not. Uh, <laughs> I thought, uh, why is this very interesting? I don't know. <laughs> a real punster. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I mean, the, the word, still the pun sticks with me. So I, I still remember it uh, like uh, 25 years later. <laughs> Maybe it has some news. Is there anything that makes you nervous? Anything in particular that makes you nervous at the bridge table? Big lead makes me nervous. So whenever I'm playing a match, like a knockout match, and I'm up by a lot, obviously it's the best it's the best feeling in the world. But when you start playing the last set and you're up by let's say 25 inch, you play 16 more boards, there's only one outcome that is normal, that's winning, and everything else is disaster. So the combination of the super high expectations due to the position where you're in. And the fact that you uh, can only lose from that point onwards, that that's, that has always made me nervous and has given me a bad feeling. So right. somehow, feeling-wise, I'd rather be down a little bit than up a lot. But uh, in the end, I'd like to win. So uh, <laughs> let's, let's be uh, clear about that. Have you employed any mental tools to try to get your mind off of the high pressure from taking a big lead? Yeah, well, I, during one of the sessions with the mental coaches, uh, we've had, sometimes they give you a little tools and they say, well, what you should do when you start go play bridge is bring a, a small item, let's say a small rock. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't think you call it a rock when it's this, this a small. A pebble, but, maybe? But, yeah, let's say a small piece of stone. Yeah, a pebble. Let's, uh, and you put it next to you on the table. And whenever you start to feel nervous, you just focus on the pebble. And that's your go-to meditation object that's just looking at the pedal would give you this puffle of reactions of getting uh, feeling cal calm again. So I did try it, obviously. I forgot to bring the pebble uh, after that, but I did try it on time and it's not too bad. So I sometimes now focus randomly on a point and just to make my heart rate go down. Your imaginary pebble. My, yeah, I now bring an imaginary pebble to, to a bridge <laughs> tournament. I mean, how, how low can you go, right? <laughs> also, I used to get more nervous than, than I, I do now. It's not that I have seen it all, but... I, I have seen a lot that, and uh, yeah, I've had big pressure matches uh, before, so it's not the first time. Every time I get a little nervous, but the, the real the rough edge of, of extreme nervousness has gone way down. Who 
were the mental coaches that you worked with and what other lessons did you take away from that experience? Yeah, well, to be uh, fair, um, the structure in Team Orange is such that we have a trainer, which is employed full-time, but that's not a mental coach. That's just our regular trainer. And a mental coach will only be there, let's say, once or twice a year. So in reality, a very small part of the whole bridge training. It's not like every other week we have a session with a mental coach. It's, It's still... I think it's a it's a area where bridge players have a lot of uh, improvements to be uh, a lot of improvement can can be made since bridge is mainly a uh, mental game. So having a mental coach would be would be great. One man, name of a mental coach is I can remember is Jan Rezelman. He had this program best year yet was the program we we were going through, and you had to imagine that you were going to have your best year yet. So that was the the, the thing you. Uh, uh, yeah, it was a really uh, upbeat kind of training. You had to think positively. You had to declare a slogan, and our and the slogan uh, I chose. Yeah, success is not an option; it's a choice. Something like that. It, it's more catchy and touch. You have to believe me. Success is a choice. Did you wear a uniform? Team colors. Yeah, we always wear team colors. We uh, we, we we wear orange since, uh, or is this a national color, which I hate. Obviously, orange. I don't I don't like to wear orange at all. But still, I mean, you have to when you represent your country. But no, that uh, not during those uh, <laughs> uh, training sessions. So you had your logo. You had your pebble. Yeah, that, that that's that has been a motto for for a couple of years, uh, jokingly. But so I'm. I still think it had some positive uh, effect, those sessions. But uh, yeah, most it, it's a hard group to have a mental coach for. It. And the reason for that, I think, is that when you are training, let's say, professional soccer players, obviously they also need mental coaching. Um, but their profile, they're, they're mostly boys between, let's say, 18 and 24 or something, uh, without a family and stuff. Whereas uh, professional bridge players are usually 10 years older than that. And they don't accept as easily, let's say, the, the superiority of somebody telling you how to feel or what to do. So I, I think we're a tough crowd to uh, receive mental uh, training. And, and I would include myself in that crowd. But <laughs> I, I think lots of uh, good bridge players are very tough to, uh, to coach. So it has. It was a hard job. I I'm a, I read I'm not surprised. No. <laughs> when it comes to your development, are there any books that have had a particular influence on you, or any books that you continue to either go back to, or that you might recommend to a developing player? Yeah, I, I like you, uh, Kelsey, as a writer. Um, it's uh, his books are obviously relatively old nowadays, but. Uh, Still, there very fewer problems, um, yeah, which I which I like. And when I say I like, I think they're useful. What I actually like is books that combine bridge with with humor, such as uh, Bridge of the Ministry, Ministry, uh, but also the Bridge Bum by uh, Alan Sontag. 
and Murder at the Bridge Table. It's a somewhat lesser known title by Granovater. I really liked uh, that when I read it. It's been ages since I read it, so I have to go back and read it again. And you have a similar book in, in Dutch. It's, it's called Rustig en Onrustig Bridge, which translates to Quiet and Not So Quiet Bridge. And that uh, is in the bridge at the mandatory kind of style, but not with animals, but with people. And, uh, <laughs> Who are also animals. Yeah, yeah the, the humor is so, <laughs> so great, so sarcastic and so and, and like completely perfect. I would I would love to have for this book that it will be translated and, and, and shown to the rest of the world. So that should be, maybe that will be a project of mine uh, later on. <laughs> That sounds great. Yeah, and I will not forget uh, Adventures in Carplay. I mean, lots of people will mention this book as one of their favorites. And, uh, well, maybe it's mostly to look interesting. But, <laughs> but the, the, this book is, yeah, it's a really special book. It's not really bridge. It's more, more art, I would say. It's totally not useful to, to, to read it. You will never, ever encounter one of those uh, things in real life. It makes you claim on fake smaller place reading a book like this. <laughs> uh, so I will definitely not recommend it for improving your bridge play, but when you just want to be dazzled by all the possibilities and they are endless in bridge, then it's, this is an amazing book. I've read it four times and each time understand a little more. I have to, but still unable to, to grasp the whole, the whole hands. So it's super tough. That's worthwhile. Is there a hot button issue in Bridge that's really important to you? Yeah, there's some things that I think are important that have to do with playing Bridge competitively in an honest way. And I'm not talking about cheating, which that's pretty obvious one, right? You should not cheat. Well, you shouldn't have to say that. But a lot of players or pairs, they, they, they want to win so much. Yeah, they, 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 they care so much that uh, it gets sometimes in the way of their good judgment and when mainly that, that uh, you will notice that when you ask for information let's say what does, it, uh, what does your bid mean or what does your lead mean and you, you notice that some players try to be very minimalistic in giving information about their agreements and they sometimes they uh, say we have no agreements where in reality they might not have any specific written agreement about this situation but they've played together for 20 years so they have a pretty good feeling for 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 what what the what the bit means but they hide behind the law of being able to say no agreements which i really hate i feel that you should at some point when declare asks the question you should just you're totally open and honest about it. And uh, and if you know what information he needs, you, you give him the information he needs, even though it may hurt your your case in the long run, uh, in the short run. Because yeah, bridge is not a game for the short run. It's not that we play a sprint. It's bridge is a marathon. You play bridge for 40 years in the same environment with the same people. And it's better to have like a bridge environment that's that's healthy and that uh, everybody loves playing in and this would help a lot for me so that's one of my main frustrations that uh, some people are very uh, evasive when asking uh, asking for um, information mm. no spirit of transparency right full transparency is uh, is, the, is a term somebody uh, already once mentioned yeah 
I won't name names because this, this is not that kind of a podcast that I mentioned, but uh, yeah, well, people uh, that feel uh, <laughs> they, they, they might fall in this category, they, well, improve. <laughs> You're putting them on notice. Yes. <laughs> Do you have a favorite bridge convention or gadget that you really love to play? Yes. Um, hey, let's say I have two. Uh, the first thing I like a lot is showing two shooters. Well, I think lots of people uh, uh, like to show two shooters, but uh, I see a, a lot of advantages of, of showing two suits at once. I mean, your partner has in one shot a complete view of how the hand in total will, will look like. There's a, a lot of safety in showing a two shooter, whereas when you overcall one suit and do it with a light hand, if one of the opponents is has a trump stack, you're, you're dead. But when you overcall two suits, partner has two choices, and in my experience, that sort of quadruples the chances of you staying alive because partner will almost always have fit for one of those suits. So I'd like to overcall two suiters as often as possible and also pretty, pretty light. And some time ago, I picked up a convention or an ID for a convention from one of my opponents. And that's to, to use double as, as a slam try in, so in, in some objects to show fit and a slam try. Because we play a store club system and we open a, let's say you open a store club, they overcall in hearts, find a bit space, and they bit jump to four hearts. So they take away all your bidding space. And the traditional approach has been to, to pass. Uh, waiting for partner to double, and then you get four spades. About using pass and pull and to show a good hand. And in theory, that's all good and well, but in practice, it never actually goes like that. Either partner doesn't double or the opponent's bit something more. So we decided to give up on penalty doubles in these situations and to use double there is showing a fit and showing a slant. And it's been amazingly useful in, in all sorts of situations that we've used. But you really cannot, you have to edit this and you cannot tell anybody else because they will, if they know they can never be penalized, then uh, they will go crazy with their bets uh, against us. <laughs> so, uh, this has to remain among us. Okay, no worries. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I did do a little research and learned that you used to say that non-serious three-no Trump was your favorite convention. What's happened to non-serious three-no Trump? It's been displaced. I still love non-serious three-no Trump. I still do. I, I, I mean, it's, it's very valuable in slam auctions to have a way of separating the, the hands with real slam interest and the hands that just cooperate in just-in-case partnering. So... I would list serious, non-serious Trino Trump as one of the uh, one of the, the conventions that you must play. Uh, I have like five or six of those conventions that I would enforce on any partnership. I would play bridge, and this is one of them. So I, I, I still think it's mandatory to play some sort of serious or serious uh, Trino Trump. We also do it with the minors. We use serious or non-serious for a minor. So whenever you start cubing uh, when you have a minor fit, so then let's say... Diamonds is, uh, is trumps. We, we start Q-bidding. Whenever you bid four diamonds, you're non-serious. Whenever you Q-bid higher, let's say four hearts, four spades, you show a serious. 
either skipping or not skipping the four diamond bits has the same role as skipping or not skipping three neutron bits for a, when you have a major subfield. Yeah, so I, I still really like it. So when you just ask the question, what's your favorite convergence? I could have answered this also, to be fair. I didn't change my mind on the on the non-serious neutron. I change my mind sometimes, but I haven't on this uh, subject. Do you have a least favorite bridge convention that you really resist agreeing to play with a partner? Yes, there are, there are some conventions that I, I would think that are, that are just bad. But the convention that I actually don't think is bad, but that I will never, ever play, is kickback. Let's say hearts is trumped and that you ask for key cards with a bidding four space. I mean, in theory, once again, this is a extremely good convention. You save a step and that step can be very useful. On the other hand, I've seen so many disasters with people employing kickback and having partner misunderstand it. I just don't want to go through all that trouble. So I, I have actually a bet with one of my teammates in Team Orange that every time his pair has a kickback misunderstanding or kickback plays a role in a bad board, then he gives me 10 euros. And whenever I don't get to the right slam where kickback would have helped me, I give him 10 euros. So maybe I'm better at spotting these things, but I'm up a lot. Oh, good. <laughs> Unfortunately, the, once again, these 10 euros are, are like imaginary euros since he never pays, but he agrees that, that I'm up a lot. That's hilarious. What is the best bridge tip or advice that you've ever been given or that you can share with our listeners? Yeah. Okay. What I used to think was that when you take bidding and you take the play and yeah, those two elements, that it was like 75% bidding and 25% play. And the way these two elements make up your final score. And bidding is still one of my, is still my favorite part of these two. But lately I've completely changed my mind and I think that a lot more points of uh, won and lost in the play than in the bidding. At least that's been the case for for uh, for me personally the, the last couple of years. And when I say play, I have to specify this. I think defense is the area where the most points get lost and won. So I would, any serious partnership, uh, I would uh, advise to to focus mainly on getting their defense in order. That that would be my number one uh, focus. If I was to, uh, training a pair, for instance, let's say my two 90-year-old daughters, work on your defense. What is the most important thing to work on in defense? Yeah, there are two. There are like, there's an individual aspect, and that's, as I said, that is only you. There, where you envision the hand of the glower, you envision the ways you can defeat this contract, and you decide which one of the ways is most likely to be successful, or which one of your continuation life might be successful. Uh, but what I'm referring to when I say this should be the main focus is mostly the, the partnership aspect, and that is having your agreements in order, that you know what to lead for what holdings. Okay, that's pretty basic that you know what you signal and that you have that signal be dependent on what kind of bidding has been and what kind of holding uh, its dummy, those kind of things. And, and not just uh, stop at the first car, but also discuss, okay, I gain the lead now. 
uh, in the third string. Now I play this. Yeah, well, what do I play from this holding then? And how do I signal this? And how do I signal that? So the, the just talk about the cards you play on defense with your partner and get your signals in order. It, it, it saves a lot of frustration when you have a good set of agreements. You can still make mistakes, obviously. Like I said, which I proved today, but that's something else than not having the right agreements. So the right agreements is possible for everybody. Uh, playing without mistakes is only possible for some, uh, <laughs> some players some of the days. Simon, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been great talking to you. It's been a terrific pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Likewise. And that's the show. Many thanks to our guest, Simon Device. Thank you also to our Sorry Partner Posse of listener supporters who make the show possible. Sorry Partner is produced by Catherine Harris with production assistance from Jade Gray. Our theme music was composed by Jocelyn Starts and produced by Daniel Graboy. Send your bridge stories and comments to sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com or send us a voice message. And please consider supporting the show. Join the Sorry Partner Posse, purchase books through our site, explore the merch store. These links and links to Club Kvel are in your app, on the website at sorrypartner.com, or wherever you like to listen. We'd love to hear from you, but be nice, or we'll call the director. Until next time, play well. May all your finesses be on site, and remember, Simon says... Defense is the area where most points are won and lost. So, if you're serious, focus on your defense. Thank you, partner. Thank you, partner. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's where that all that counting comes in also. Yeah, I think that's part of it, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, yuck. All right. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.